Hey, good morning and welcome to Breakthrough Walls. I'm Ken Walls and I'm your host. And today I have a real life TV celebrity. She's been on House Hunters, if you've ever heard of that show. If you haven't, I'm curious about what address that rock is that you're living under would be because it's huge. Um, I have the one and only Cami Baker coming on. And do me a favor, if you would, go ahead and share this out. Share it out to your Facebook friends, your LinkedIn friends, your Twitter friends. We're live everywhere. So share it out wherever you're joining us from. Go ahead and share this out. And stay with us. I'll be right back with the one and only Cami Baker. And we are back. Let me bring Cammy on. Cammy, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Such an honor to have you here. I see my brother from another mother, Joe Ingram, is already on here. Joe, good to see you. So, Cammy, um, I told you I started this show about five years ago. And it, well, no, it's over five years now. Um, five years ago, I started this and it was literally to help people have a breakthrough in life. Um, so that's what this is about. Why don't we start with you telling everybody where you were born and raised? So I was born in Key West of all bizarre places. And I found out, uh, I'm 50, I'll be 55 in a month. And I found out when I was 50, as I was traveling on my first book tour, I went to Key West for the first time since I was born there 50 years earlier. And I found out that when you are born on Key West, you are a conch, like a conch shell. A conch. Yeah. And I guess there's maybe 10 of us in the world. I don't know. It's a tiny little island to be born Mm -hmm. on. But what happened was my birth mother was having a little uh, tryst at the beach in uh, Daytona back in 68 and found herself knocked up. And back then it was not cool to just have a baby out of wedlock. So she uh, went and had the baby in secrecy and that would be me. And, oh, uh, and, and then I found her uh, when I was about 23, I, I went on a, uh, on a bender to find my birth mother. And so I was actually adopted and grew up in uh, Jacksonville, Florida, and wow. uh, and then parts of Georgia, and uh, so yeah, I'm a I'm a I'm a conch. Wow. So wait, so she she gave birth to you, and then and then that she gave you to somebody else for adoption. Is that what? Well, well, let's be really <laughs> transparent. And have some fun with this. Okay. She. <laughs> When she was pregnant, before she started to show, uh, she was dancing. Oh, wow. And uh, there's a couple of little go-go places down on Key West. And uh, then when she started to show, she was a cocktail waitress. And uh, then when she had me, she put me up for adoption. That was always the intention. And uh, I was adopted through the, the state system. And, uh, and my parents, my adoptive parents who drove down from Jacksonville to, to pick me up, um, they adopted me and a, a brother that I grew up with that was three years older than me. And when my brother and I were growing up, kids can be so cruel. I remember some kids one time teasing us for being adopted. We always knew we were adopted. It was never a secret. I don't know how they told us. It was just always, we just always knew. Yeah. And these kids said, you know, you were adopted. And I said, yeah, well, my mama wanted me so much. She paid $10,000 to get me. Your mama just got stuck with you. <laughs> oh, <geez. laughs> so I've always been feisty. <laughs> oh my Lord. That is, uh, we're, we're the same age. My wife, her birthday's in June and mine is in July. I'll be 55 in July. So you're a lot older than me. 
<laughs> well, June 9th, I am a Gemini through and through, double personality, the whole deal. My wife's June 19th. My daughter's June 15th. God so, bless. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I live in a house full of schizophrenics. I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. Um, so, so I'm totally kidding. Like I know nothing about the signs at all. <laughs> like nothing. Well, um, I dated a Gemini one time and between my two personalities and his two personalities, <laughs> it was always a, just a luck of the draw who was talking to who. Oh my God. <laughs> That is so funny. So, so, okay. So you were, you grew up in the Jacksonville area, Florida. Um, Is that where you went to school and high school and all that? You you mentioned Georgia also. Well, actually my, uh, my adoptive father had a heart attack and keeled over at the bank. He was a vice president of when I was six years old. And uh, when that happened, we uh, packed up and moved about an hour and a half north to Waycross, Georgia, which is where my mother was originally from. My my adoptive mother was originally yeah. from. Yeah. And uh, I grew up there, went to high school in South Georgia. And, um, you know, I was uh, definitely an outcast. I was never part of, uh, of the crew. As a matter of fact, I always dated guys way older than me. On my junior prom, I took a guy that was 27 and on my senior prom, I took a guy that was 32 with two kids. Stop <laughs> it. People, people ask me, where was your mother during all this? And I'm like, you know, she she was just doing the best she could. You know, her the love of her life had a heart attack and died. And she's left with these two kids that I don't think she really wanted to begin with. And not really. Uh, and uh and so I was just doing my thing and I was always dating older guys. And the minute I graduated from high school, I got the hell out of that little tiny town. Oh my Lord have mercy. <laughs> that's I, I'm like, that sounds like some, something out of Joe dirt. <laughs> like, <laughs> look, my, my buddy Joe said, sounds like an Alabama prop. Oh no, God. now. Now in Alabama, I would have been bringing my brother or my <laughs> uncle to the prom. Now let's get clear, this was Georgia, oh, but but it God. wasn't. But I wasn't related. As a matter of fact, my brother and I were both adopted from completely different bloodlines, and we would sit at our family reunions and we would look around and say, "Aren't you glad we're not really related to these people?" <laughs> oh my God, that is too funny. So, so, oh my Lord have mercy. Anybody watching from Alabama, I apologize in advance. We're just playing. You got to be able to laugh. Um, so, and I lived in West Virginia for five years, so we could make the same jokes there too. But so, so talk about when you, so you graduated high school. Yes, I did graduate high school. Okay. I was not that much of a country bumpkin. I'm not toothless down the dirt road with no high right. school diploma. Yes. Right, right. <laughs> well, then you're doing better than me. So I, I never got one of those. But so so go back to to when you graduated. Did you end up going to college? Wherever you joined Sorry, hit a button. Say That's that again. Right. Did you end up going to college? Well, let me, let me back up a little bit more. When I was eight years old, eight years old in Jacksonville, other kids at school had yeah. quarters in their pocket and I had gum and they wanted my gum and I wanted their quarters. So I bought extra gum, brought the gum to school, sold it at a 500% markup. And then took the money that I earned and loan sharked it, holding collateral and getting high interest before I even knew what these words meant. Wow. So I've been an entrepreneur since I was eight years old. I've just always seen opportunity. How do you make that better? How do you make money at that? So I did do a little bit of college just because I thought it was the right thing to do. Um, but I am totally from the school of hard knocks. I am not a college graduate. I am just an entrepreneur through and through who is completely unemployable. 
<laughs> wow. 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 So when you, when you went, you said you got out of there as soon as you got out of high school. Um, where did you go? What happened? Where did, where did things go for you from there? Well, I, uh, I found myself working in a lot of bars and doing a lot of playing and partying back in the early days. And, uh, uh, went to uh, Orlando, went to Atlanta, uh, just kind of hopped all over the place when I was uh, a little bit younger. And then when I was 23, I moved to Panama City Beach. I had been there visiting many times. It's only about a four or five hour drive from Atlanta where I lived. Used to go down and do a wet t-shirt contest and bikini contest and stuff. And uh, went down at 23 and was going to straighten my life up. And long story short, I ended up uh, owning a bar in Panama City Beach. It was my first brick and mortar, uh, you know, real, real business with employees and overhead and inventory. And uh, that was a real, uh, a real eye opener. I, I, I tell you now. Uh, I would never want brick and mortar employees, overhead, liability uh, ever again. But back then, I mean, it was blood, sweat and tears and uh, yeah. a, a real big life lesson. So, yeah, I, I owned a place called The Seahorse and I have to I have to sing a song for you that I wrote about it. OK, we had we had The Seahorse was a big a big place. I don't know how many square feet, probably 10,000, which is pretty big. It wasn't, it wasn't just a little, a little hot dog stand. Right. Right next to the seahorse in the same building was a laundromat. So we had the whole wash your duds and drink some suds thing theme going on. And for many years, people who owned it before me had the same thing. People would put their laundry in the, the laundromat, come over and have a hamburger and a beer or whatever. So we had a, a radio station come out when I had the place. And uh, we had we came up with a little theme: <laughs> wash your duds and drink some suds at the seahorse. Seahorse. <laughs> oh my god, that's awesome, though! Wow, it's fun. Yeah. So, so when you so how long did you? And by the way, that's that's considered the Emerald Coast, right? Yes, it is yes. the Redneck Riviera. It's, it's LA, lower Alabama. Mm -hmm. yep. I we go to Destin every year for vacation. It is the most I just told somebody yesterday, I'm like, it's the most beautiful beaches in the world. Truly is. I, the, 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 the sand is so white, yeah, that it glows in the moonlight. Yeah. And they call it sugar sands for a reason because it really yeah. does look like sugar. It's amazing. And the water is crystal Ooh. clear blue it's just it's amazing it's absolutely amazing yeah so how long did you own the bar in panama city i owned the bar for gosh about about six years and hurricane opal came through late 90s and just devastated that beach i mean tore it up from the floor up it was yeah. a mess and as a matter of fact this was back during my drinking days and uh we knew hurricane opal was coming through and uh, they a mandatory evacuation of the beach but i stayed along with a, a bartender of mine where we were just drinking it up hey if the ship's going down we're going down with it wow and you know how they say when uh when a hurricane comes through that it sounds like a freight train and it does and where we were on the on uh, front beach road across the street was the ocean and uh it it was it came across the road and was coming under the door into this building and this building had been built uh, back in uh, world war ii it was a u.s cavalry station for horses way back then so it was built wow. to last and it was yeah. the only building on the beach that did not get completely demolished and I still believe to this day that it didn't get demolished because I was in it. And I've wow. got big things to do in this world and the universe couldn't sit there and watch me get swept away. And that's why that building was still there. So 
after Hurricane Opal, thousands of storm chasers came down, all the ones who do the roofing and the plumbing yeah. and the rebuilding. And one of them's name was Brian. And he came in. He was one of our best clients at the yeah. bar. Yeah. And, uh, and he and I ended up uh, creating a relationship. And, um, and he was from New Hampshire. So after two years of drinking and fighting and having a baby to fix everything, we decided let's raise our baby in New Hampshire where he's from. So I sold the bar and uh, me and Brian and the baby and the hundred pound dog and everything I own in a huge U-Haul drove to New Hampshire. Oh my gosh. Yep. That was uh, that. And that was when I was probably 31, had a, had a new baby wow. and, uh, and moved across the country. New Hampshire. My yeah. goodness. Wow. That's a, big difference between florida and new hampshire i mean the huge difference you know i remember when i first met him now this was long time ago so we were all very young 20s i was 30 and uh i was probably 28 or so when i met him yeah. and i remember when i carded him and i saw his id from new hampshire it was the first new hampshire license i had ever seen and i just remember thinking new hampshire Wow. People live in, people live up there, but wow. uh, but I ended up living up there. We we moved up there, and uh, we were only together for about a year. I had I had thank thank the dear Lord. I quit drinking while I was pregnant, but I picked it back up right after. And yeah. um, I was in New Hampshire with with him and the baby, and wow, and we were fighting, and it just was not a pretty scene. And so um, New Hampshire is where I got sober. And, uh, it's wow. a, got a big, big place in my heart, New Hampshire. Wow. So how long were you in New Hampshire then? I was there. My baby was, uh, we left there on my birthday, left Florida <clears throat> June 9th that year. She was born in February. So she was four months old when we moved there and she's now 24 years old. Wow. And I was there pretty much the whole time until two years ago when I got my RV and put everything I own in it and hit the road. So I was there for about 21, 21 years or so. Wow. Wow. What did you do in New Hampshire for a living all those years? Well, at first, um, when I was still drinking, I did a lot of bartending and waitressing. Yeah. As a matter of fact, oh, oh, the dirt, the dirt we have from our past. The yeah. first year I was there, I was a drunk and I had just owned a bar in Panama City Beach. And yep. I, I was the bar owner behind the bar. And now I'm in New Hampshire and I'm working on the other side of the bar. Yep. And I had so many jobs and so many W-2 forms and that the first accountant I had said, oh my God, this must be a record for somebody to have this many jobs in one year. And I said, bro, you don't even know about the under the under the table right. cash jobs that I had. But I was just, I was so arrogant and so like, I would never treat my employees this way and walk out, you know, and it was just, just a bad, bad time of my life. But yeah. uh but fortunately, a couple of years into being there, when I did decide to get sober, um, I, I applied for a job out of the newspaper. That's how long ago it was. Wow. For those of you who don't know, newspaper is the internet in print. <laughs> right. So uh, I applied for a job. I, I don't even know what it said, but when I, when I got that job, I became uh, a listing coordinator for a realtor who did about 125 deals a year. Okay. And it was the best thing that could have happened for me. I didn't know anything about real estate, but the people in this office, I was about three months sober at the time and none of them drank. It wasn't that they were hiding it. It wasn't that they had a problem and had to you know, control it. They just didn't drink. And it was the first time I was really around other adults who didn't drink. Right. And it was just uh, such a, a wonderful uh, experience for me to get sober around other people. And they didn't know I was an, al uh, an alcoholic. They didn't know I was in a program. Um, yeah. But, uh, but that's, 
that's when I got started in real estate was in New Hampshire. Wow. So how did that go for you? How did, cause it sounds like you were there for quite a while in that, in that, or in New Hampshire doing real estate. How did it go for you? I've always said real estate was better, better good to me. Mm-hmm. It was, uh, you know, for a woman who, uh, had a high school education, uh, didn't know anyone, uh, needed to express my business savvy and entrepreneurialness, which yeah. I had not been for quite right. some time. It was so good for me that the office that I got that job in, um, this gentleman uh, prospected. He picked up the phone and called expireds for sale by owners. Like he was making it happen, and he was being coached by an organization that taught prospecting and objection handling and how to go make it happen. So after about a year and a half of uh, being a paid employee, I was the one going out and putting up the sign and writing the description and taking the photos and all that. It was like I was a paid listing agent without going on the appointments. And so about a year and a half into it, I got licensed and I started making the phone calls and I started setting the appointments and um, it was, it was really good for me. I, and I, you know, if I had just gotten my license and tried to figure it out, it may not have gone as well, but you know, the good Lord has put me in the right place in the right time. So many times in my life. And when I, when I look back on these experiences and really think about, you know, the divinity and what was happening. It's just a really beautiful example of being in the right place at the right time with the right people, even though I didn't know it then. Uh, and, and real estate was my, was the catalyst for my change. My, my first broker um, th- that I worked for gave me my first self-development book besides the big book in AA, my yeah. first my first self-development book was called uh, U Squared by Price Pritchett. It's just a little pamphlet you can read in a day, but uh, it helped me to really expand my thinking. It talks about uh, quantum leaps. Yeah. Like people say you got to take baby steps and take your time. And in this book, it says, screw that. Jump off the cliff and know that your wings are going to sprout. And they yep. do. Wow. That's powerful. So I know you were also on HGTV house hunters, right? Um, when was that? Was that in New Hampshire? Yeah. All my real estate experience was, uh, in New Hampshire. I, I actually, there was a, a TV show that HGTV used to have called my house is worth what? And the, 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 the paradigm of it was, Somebody's got a house. They're trying to decide, do I want to add an in-law suite or do I want to sell it and go buy what I really need? That sort of thing. And they did a casting call way back uh, before we had video on our phone, way back when I took a camcorder and did an audition tape on the camcorder, took the the tape and put it in an envelope and mailed it to California. Like that's how long ago it was. And, um, and I, I, I did an audition tape and they chose me out of 6,000 realtors in New Hampshire. And uh, I did, that was the first show that I did. And after I did that show, I was at a conference one week and I got a call from someone who said, Hey, this is so-and-so from HGTV house hunters, right? You were recommended to us to do our show. And I, I thought it was a prank phone call. Like, you know, when you're a real estate agent you get a call from the, now this was back when it was popular. It's not quite as popular now as it used to be, but this was 2008. Wow. And, um, so they called and they said, uh, they said that we were told you're easy to get along with You're professional. We, we want to do a show with you. So it just turned out that I had a buyer at the time because the premise of of house hunters is that the realtor and the buyer go look at three houses on camera and then the buyer chooses one of them. And then they show you six months later. Now they got the new dog and the new fence and the new paint and whatever. And uh, so I had a buyer at the time and we shot uh, HGTV house hunters and, um, they, they gave me full reign. They said, you're, you're fabulous. We love you. You can do as many shows as you want. And I 
looked and I tried and I promoted trying to find another buyer that would was ready, willing and able to buy now would use me as their realtor, not their mom or their sister, and that wanted to be on camera. It's a three-legged stool. And I met all these people who wanted to be on the show, but they wanted their mother, the realtor, or they wanted to be on the show, but they weren't qualified to buy, or they wanted to buy and work with me, but they were afraid to be on camera. So <laughs> it, was, it was just this weird, for years, I tried to find someone else and I couldn't, couldn't find anyone, but it was 2008 and it was definitely one of the highlights of my career saying I was on uh, house hunters. Now, was that before or after you, you, um, got sober? Oh, I got sober, uh, three months before I got the job, uh, for that agent as their listing coordinator. Oh. So this was, this was probably five years or so into my sobriety that I was on, uh, HGTV. Okay. Wow. That's so awesome. So, so you, um, where did things go? Cause I know you have a new book. Is it a new, it's fairly new book, right? The one behind you right now, is that a graphic on your RV? It is. It's a, it's a five foot image oh of the book. Gosh. And then that's the key of peace. So you'll notice in the book itself, uh, hot and not, that's actually a, a peace symbol. Yeah. And a, and a key. And then the teeth are the R-A-O-C, which is what we've become known as real agents of change. R-A-O-C, we are the rock. And um, the key actually got created because I love wearing peace signs. I wear peace signs all the time, my earrings, my necklaces and so forth. And then for the book, as you can see, the, the five keys to revolutionize. So I was like, I want to be able to wear a key but I need to be wearing my peace sign. So I said to the team, we need a key with a peace sign so right. I can wear a peace key. And I so, so the key got created. And even though I haven't had it made yet, I have found um, jewelers and uh, different uh, uh, trade show uh, promotional people that can create it. And we're going to have keys and pens and t-shirts and sweatshirts awesome. and all kinds of keys that for our, for our merchandise. So yeah, this is my second book. That is so awesome. Oh, okay. So it's your second, but what's the first book? So the first book I was, uh, I was in network marketing for several years okay. and during network marketing, I met thousands, tens of thousands of people and I had to learn myself just from sheer grit and determination and guerrilla marketing, how to get out and give a good handshake and introduce yeah. myself and, and show up and, and yeah. go yeah. network. Yeah. So I, I ended up writing a book called mingle to millions. As a matter of fact, I grabbed a copy in case you asked. Let me about see. It. Hold on. Let me, let me. So mingle to millions, the art and science of building business relationships was born and um wow in this book so i have i have to tell you the 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 the, the five s's so as a networker we might be at a networking event giving a card to everyone we see here's my card here's my card here's my card it's called spraying those cards out and praying something will happen those are the skunks and then there are the people that grab a card from everybody. Hey, you got a card? You got a card? They go around yep. all the tables and they grab and they leave with their big stack of cards. Yep. I call those the squirrels because they're squirreling those cards away to put you on their boring email list. Yeah. And then there are the people that you meet. Dun, 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 The sharks. Yeah. <laughs> Join my business. Sign my yep. contract. They're the sharks, right? Yeah. Yep. So the, the premise of the book is instead of networking, let's be net webbing. Let's be that spider that is strategic and creates her net web so that all she wants comes to her. So instead of sharking and squirreling and, you know, all these things, you're actually bringing business to you. Yep. So that's what the first book uh, 
is about and was about. And, and at first, when I learned about charitable gifting of real estate and was coming up with this premise around charitable real estate as a, as a business development tool, I thought that Mingle to Millions had seen its day and it would it was just kind of done in old news. But really, when you think about net webbing, see, networking is is random activity. Net webbing is planned strategy. So really charitable gifting of real estate and how we talk to people um, from a place of vision and altruisticness and who we want to help in the world. It's really the best way to create that net web that I talked about in the first book. So they kind of go hand in hand. What, okay. So what is chari charitable gifting of real estate? What does that even mean? Right. <laughs> Right. I know. So three and a half years ago, just before the pandemic, I'm promoting my first book. I'm a speaker in the book, Mingle to Millions. I'm teaching people about cause marketing, marketing your business with a cause in mind, yeah. fundraisers, how to do a fundraiser for the Boys and Girls Club, a Ronald McDonald, car shows, golf tournaments, blah, blah, how to actually leverage those to go out and meet your ideal client, make money, making a difference. Right. So three and a half years ago, just before the pandemic, I'm at a conference and I hear the magical words, charitable gifting of real estate. And I thought, how have I been in real estate for 20 years and doing fundraisers? I had a 64 and a half Mustang convertible that I bought with my first big commission check as a realtor. And I did all these car shows and gave money to the local nonprofits. And I did a car show in New York City with uh, Make-A-Wish Foundation and Ronald McDonald House. I did all that stuff. And I, I had never heard of charitable gifting of real estate. So a couple of months after I learned about it, the pandemic happened. The whole world goes to hell in a handbasket. All the fundraisers I was consulting on, all my speaking engagements, everything completely done. And uh, beautiful New Hampshire. Thank you, Lord, for New Hampshire. So beautiful. All the trails. It's just so yeah. lovely. It was springtime. So I spent the whole summer of 2020 learning about charitable real estate. What the hell is this? How does it work? So here's what I learned. Gifts of real estate been happening for a hundred years. It's a tax code. It's a U.S.-based tax code. You don't pay capital gains tax. You get other tax benefits. Nine billion dollars a year is donated to nonprofits through the gifting of real estate, but 99% of nonprofits not only don't ask for real estate, but actually turn it down when it's offered because they think it's complicated and it's what? risky. Oh yeah. And it's scary. And who's going to take title and who's going to pay off the mortgage. And what if it's contaminated and what if a hurricane comes through and wipes it out or there's just, there's a lot of fear around it. So they, they don't ask for it and they turn it down when it comes their way. So I thought, huh, Gifts of real estate, being a realtor who's made phone calls and, you know, door knocking and begging for business and commission cutting. Like I, I get what the realtors are going through. They want a unique sales proposition. They want to show up in the community with a, a different way of serving the community. The ones that are already sitting on committee meetings and giving 10% of their commission to the nonprofits and all this. Mm. I thought, wow, they need to know that they can make money, making a difference. They can list the gifts of real estate at a guaranteed full commission. We don't want you to do it for a discount. We don't want you to make a donation. We want you to put money in your pocket to give the equity from these gifts of real estate to the nonprofits you love, average of $600,000 from one piece of property. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Okay. I got a uh, totally off topic for a second, but I, I have to make a point. <clears throat> you say the word realtor correctly. <laughs> realtor. Do you know how many people say realtor? I do. 
I, 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 I'm like, there's no vowel between the L and T. Why are you doing that? It's not realtor. It's realtor. And you're saying it right. One of my pet too. <laughs> <laughs> Thank I'm you like, for noticing. <laughs> I know realtors that say realtor. Oh yeah. I know. I meet them all the time. I'm like, come on. It's not realtor. <laughs> I, and you don't want to correct them, but anyway, so well done, but okay. So I don't think you realize how quickly you covered all of that. Unpack that just a little. So take it from this high level get what's give me a, a, a breakdown. Like if there's a realtor that um, doesn't know what you're talking about, how would they get started in this? I mean, obviously get your book, your book, I'm sure breaks it down, but how would they get started in this? If they wanted to start doing the charitable real estate thing. Honest to God, this is not a plug for me or my program, but we're it. This is it. If you want to learn about this, you come to us because no one else is teaching it. And, you know, like I said, $9 billion a year. We didn't invent the, the charitable gifting of real estate. We didn't invent the tax deduction. We, I just saw it. And it was, it was through this filter of real estate experience, nonprofit experience, Huh. Wow. Wow. Why don't we bring this? So my thought immediately was there's 2 million realtors, give or take, depending on what month and year it is. Right. right. 2 million realtors. What if 1% of us, just 1%, not all of them, but what if 1% actually wanted to bring this back to their community? Here's, here's some of the statistics we can unpack a little bit. Okay. There's 1.5 million nonprofits in the United States. Right. On average, that's 499 per county. Okay. Wow. So wherever you are in the country. Wow. Average agent does about a three county radius. There's at least 1,500 nonprofits that that one realtor could tell about this. Okay. And, and the reason that these nonprofits aren't doing it is because it is risky for them to take title to property. It is time consuming and painful for them to try to do it. But what happened was I found out that there is a way to have what we call a specialized nonprofit whose sole reason for existing boys and girls club is here to keep kids safe after school. Churches right. are here to bring you the Lord, right? right. Uh, Mission 22 helps to stop and prevent 22 suicides a day for veterans. Right. All nonprofits have their own mission. The mission of this is to take gifts of real estate on behalf of any nonprofit in the country so that it is risk-free and no money out of pocket for the nonprofit world. And the realtors, when you think about it, it's a gift of real estate whether it's raw land or a house or a three family or a strip mall or a condo, it's real estate. And the only way to pull that $600,000 of equity out of that property is to sell it. So Got we it. list it with a realtor. We want them to know it's full commission just because people are giving real estate away and the money's going oh. to nonprofit doesn't mean you do it for free. I have a question. Why would somebody give a nonprofit a piece of real estate? Why, why wouldn't they just sell it themselves? Great question, Ken. Thank you for asking. Because, <laughs> it, is, because it is the worst way to help that nonprofit. It is the lazy way. It is the old fashioned way and it is what people do when they don't know any better. So here's how we explain it. There are three ways that a property owner can help a nonprofit with their real estate. Now, why they do it is because they are cash conservative and asset rich. So they're doing it, doing it for tax benefits. Tax benefits. 80% of them do it because it is the right thing to do. They are 60, 70, 80 years old. 
Okay. They have multiple properties. Okay. Those properties are going to be liquidated. These people are going to die eventually. Got to liquidate the property. And the kids don't want a strip mall in Detroit. The kids, <laughs> the kids don't want a ranch in Idaho with 5,000 head of steer. They don't want the property. They want cash. Okay. So we show them how they just buy life insurance policy. That takes care of little Billy and little Alice. But now let's talk about your question. So give you a scenario. There's a condo in Florida. It's got an appraised value of a million dollars. Okay. It's got a $200,000 mortgage. The owner wants $200,000 cash in their pocket because they're going to buy a life insurance policy for little Billy and they want to take their wife on a cruise. So we got a million dollar property, $400,000 to, to acquire that property. There's a mortgage and there's some money the donor wants. So $600,000 in equity. Right. Okay. So, so if that donor goes and sells their property themselves, just good old fashioned sale, and then they give money to the nonprofit world. The reason that's the worst way is because the government's going to get more tax money than they deserve. I don't care if it's your primary residence or how you look at it and slice it. The government's going to get a piece of that, yep. that, they, that they don't have to, that they don't have to. So the donor gets the least tax advantages. The nonprofit gets the least amount of proceeds and the government gets a chunk. It's lazy. It's old fashioned. It's what we do when we don't know any better. The second way is if that donor gives that property, let's say it's a, who's somebody you like, Ken? Who do you like to support? As far as a charity? Yeah, just give me a name of one. Ronald McDonald House. They want to give it to Ronald McDonald House. But in order for Ronald McDonald to take title of that property, to give the donor the tax benefits they want, the property has to be free and clear for them to take title. Oh. Somebody has to pay off that mortgage. Somebody has to give that donor 200,000. There's 400,000 out of pocket. Okay. To give them their tax benefit and they got to take title. They got to assume responsibility. It's in Florida. Their office is in Chicago. Here's what we know to be a fact. 99% of nonprofits won't do it. They so Ronald McDonald would be like Okay, we realize there's $600,000 in profit here, um, but no. Right. They've, really? heard horror, they've heard horror stories. They have accepted real estate and it went sideways and they'll never do it again. Okay. Or they have it written right in their bylaws. We do not take non-cash assets, especially not real estate. Wow. So they won't do it. And if they do do it, if they do, it's the hardest way because now you got months of board meetings. Somebody's got to approve that 400,000. They got to pull it out of an account from somewhere. They just won't do it. Right. And there are a handful that do do it. And I'll talk about them in a minute. But the third way is the way that we do it that specialized nonprofit that I mentioned, we got a handful of them that we work with. And if you want to know who they are, you have to call me. So <laughs> the specialized nonprofit pays off that mortgage, really? gives the donor their 200,000. They come out of pocket 400 grand to take title to the property. The donor gets all the tax benefits they're looking for in less than 30 days. Now that the specialized nonprofit has title, they, we hire a realtor at a full commission. And when the property is liquidated, the proceeds go to the nonprofit world, which is what makes it risk-free, wow. no money out of pocket, and easy for any nonprofit in the country to be able to benefit from the proceeds of real estate. So the realtor, the realtor that you hire gets full commission, six or three or whatever it is, um, And, and, and so they, they profit the 600,000 minus the, the realtors commissions on a million because it's a million dollar property, right? Good point. So, so they profit whatever that number is. Um, that's crazy. 
I mean, in a good way. That's insane. Well, it is. And and you, one thought that might be running through your head and all of our viewers sounds too good to be true. Sounds too good to be true. Yeah. That the donor can. And, and look, friends, this isn't for everyone. It is for the people who are cash conservative, asset rich, wanting to leave legacy, need a tax deduction. For the right people, it is exactly what, and I could give you story after story. We've got 14 case studies on one of our links about how this works. Wow. And it, and it doesn't have to be someone who's uber wealthy. Here's, here's, people will say, okay, great. So where do these donations come from? That's the beauty of it. These donors are already on the donor list of the nonprofits that you love. They sit in the pews at church. They clean the kennels at the American Humane Society. They are helping our veterans. They are working at the soup kitchen. In other words, one of our stories is a woman named Linda who, whose nonprofit. Now, check out these numbers. She was given $25 a year. For 32 years, faithful, loves her nonprofit, cash conservative, 25 bucks a year for 32 years. She sees a presentation. She learns that donations of real estate are a way to help her nonprofit. She had a second home in the Poconos. It was just a little cabin, something her family had left to her. It kind of fell into disrepair. She didn't want it anymore. Her kids didn't want it. She donated that property. Now she got a tax deduction, but she did it because it was easy and convenient and because she loved her nonprofit. And here's something interesting. Hmm. She went from $25 a year because I talked to the fundraiser, the gal that works at that nonprofit last year. Right. She said ever since Linda donated that property, she gives $500 a year now. There is a psychological shift that happens when people stop giving pocket change mm. and start giving from their wealth bucket. Real estate, 43% of our wealth is held in real estate. 3% of our wealth is in pocket change. Right. So all the nonprofits who have their handout looking to sell a $50 raffle ticket or come to another golf tournament or, you know, bring your car to our car show. We're looking to raise $5,000. What we want them to know is it is proven statistically that the donors on your donor list will give you six times what wow. you're already bringing in. If you just give them this option, period. Let me ask you this, because this is the, I, I this is the first time I've ever heard of this. Um, what, I don't even know where to start. Like <laughs> how, because there's got to be people in the situation of the lady with the cabin in the Poconos that has no idea that they can do what you're talking about. No idea. Like it's not even on their freaking radar anywhere. Yes. That is why I'm here, Ken. Okay. Because so pe people like you, no people I don't know yet. And we have this conversation, right? This red hot minute could have just brought 600 grand to 10 different nonprofits or a hundred different nonprofits because people are learning. We, we do not sell this. We do not convince. You can't convince Linda to give away her cabin. <laughs> right. What you can do is you can educate her. You can let her know what her options are. And if it works for her, she will do it because it's the right thing for her. So all of our friends that are learning this for the first time, you sit on a board. You are on a fundraising committee. You see the GoFundMe accounts on Facebook. Yeah. You know that your church is struggling. You know that veterans are homeless. You know that puppies are suffering. You know that human trafficking is happening. And you say, oh, that's so sad. I wish there was something I could do. Guess what? You can. You can tell them, hey, I saw on Breaking Through Walls, Breakthrough Walls, fabulous podcast. I learned that our church doesn't have to suffer and struggle anymore. We can get funded. 
by Mabel giving away her house. Or by John giving away his ranch or by Mary giving away a condo and they don't have to give the full value. Their story. So last year, Jeff Bezos, ex-wife, Mackenzie Scott, donated two houses totaling $55 million. One was 30-something thousand, one was 20-something thousand, a million, sorry. Two houses, 55 million. Why? Because if she had donated 55 million in cash versus 55 million in appraised uh, 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 assets that had that had gone up in value. Yeah, it's a better tax benefit. So right. we don't want to get hung up on you know. Well, gosh, I don't know anybody. Well, you may not know anybody that would, but there's somebody that you know that if they click share on this video, somebody that they know, it could be a financial advisor that's got 500 clients, and 10 percent of them need a tax deduction and they are philanthropically inclined. And if they knew that their very own soup kitchen or veteran group could get wow. funded, they would do it. They don't know what they don't know. They just don't. So it's our, so, it's our chance to teach them. So this can benefit any church any any, any nonprofit. Any, any, any 1.5 million in this country. It doesn't matter how big or small and even the biggest, the biggest nonprofit in this country that has the most money under management is Fidelity Charitables. And even they don't want to do their own real estate. Even they use the same team that we do. So the real agents of change, we're not a nonprofit. We don't take title. We're just smart enough to say, hey, let's educate everyone that this can happen. Wow. People want to know how do we get paid? Well, not only do we have the book, but we've got a certification program. We've got marketing and postcards and yeah. emails and social media that you can send out. But you don't even need us. You just need to tell people. Wow. Yeah. That's unbelievable. And I, so your mission is to what? Our mission is, so that $9 billion a year, when you yeah. look at the, at the big pie charts, nonprofits in general bring in about $474 billion a year. Wow. Now, here's what's, here's what's bizarre. 90% of that $474 billion, 90% is coming from cash, pocket change, checkbooks, 90% of it. The nine billion that we're talking about is only two percent, but forty-three percent of our wealth as a nation is in real estate. So the numbers don't jive. So these specialized nonprofits have been created so that the two percent experts say can, should, would, could, will be shifted to a lousy six and a half percent, which is twenty-nine billion, not once a year. 20 wow. billion more a year to the nonprofits we love by just telling people that it is an option. So our goal, our objective as the real agents of change is to help move that needle from 9 billion to 29 billion. And one of the benefits that we bring to the table is while we're funding those nonprofits and helping our veterans and churches and animals and kids, the businesses, the businesses that are helping us, that are working with us, that are promoting this with us, look, social responsibility isn't just the right thing to do. It's a smart thing to do in business. 87% of consumers, customers, and clients in your marketplace and industry yeah. will choose the company the product, the service provider that's socially responsible. So instead of picking one or three nonprofits that you have time to volunteer for, what if you just help them all? You know, wow. in, in Orlando, there's over 11,000 nonprofits. In, in Sarasota, where I was, Sarasota, Manatee County, 8,700 
nonprofits. So wherever you are, there are hundreds, thousands of nonprofits, and you don't have to pick one or three. Just help them all. Just wow. let them know that this is possible because the consumers in that marketplace will reward you by choosing you over the other realtor, the other attorney, the other dog walker, the other insurance company, when you're helping all nonprofits, not just one or three. So are churches considered nonprofits? You know, thank you for that clarification, because we tend to use the word nonprofit, which yeah. is really not the right term. Okay. There's 501c3. Yeah. Churches are 508c1a, I think is what. But churches and the 501c3s are the nonprofits we're talking about here. In other words, okay. um, Board of Realtors, as an example, is a nonprofit meaning they don't pay uh, federal tax, right. nonprofit, but you can't make a donation to them that you write off. You can pay your fee, which is a business expense write off, right. but you don't get a donation write off. 501c3, okay. 508 church are the two types that okay. are 1.5 million in this country that yes, any church so, but isn't there a maximum amount that you can donate to a nonprofit? There, look, there's all kinds of stipulations. Like, for example, yeah. if you, what if you write something off this year, you can take that right off over the next five years as well, over a six-year period. Okay. You know, depending on whether or not you donate cash versus a non-cash asset, how much you can only write off. 30% of your adjusted gross income, you know, so there's yeah. different, there's different stipulations. You can create a charitable remainder trust. You know, there's all those details that we right. don't really, we personally don't get into. We have a saying at the real agents of change, do what you do best and refer the rest. So mm -hmm. what we do is we just bring the big conversation that it's yeah. possible, that it's even possible. And then we partner with CPAs, financial advisors, yeah. tax people, right? Yeah. So that so that they can drill down. And that's why this is so great for business development for everyone. Because the yeah. realtor and the CPA and the financial advisor can all come together and they can do seminars in their communities and they can educate the boys and girls club and the churches and the veterans. As a matter of fact, I'll say this and I know we're coming up on our hour. Yeah. I did. We did our book launch in Sarasota, Florida in June last year when uh, real estate is hot. Fundraising is not came out. Yeah. And when we did this, there was a story written about us that was in the business observer. Okay. Goodwill. Goodwill. Same goodwill. We all know and yeah. love all over yeah. the country saw the story. They called us. They said, we, this specific one in Sarasota is such a well-oiled machine. Yeah. They don't even, they don't even need more cash donations. They know what they're doing to the point where they teach goodwills all over the country. Right. But what they said was, they said, we've got about 200 domestic abuse, homeless shelters, soup kitchens, all these places that we are constantly working with and supporting and feeding. We want you to come in and teach them. Wow how this works. Wow. I, I, I sit here and think like, okay, so I'm making, I'm going to make this up. Say, say, you know, somebody has a property worth in dollars and they want to walk away with 2 million of that. And there's a mortgage for, I don't know, 3 million. So there's 5 million profit. How would something on that, that's a bigger scale, right? Than we've been talking about. How would, how would that work? Same way? Exactly the same way. It doesn't matter how big it is. The average wow. donation is 600,000. Wow. So there are all, as a matter of fact, just two days ago, there was another story that came through. I have a Google alert about charitable real estate. There was a $15 million 
property that was just donated a couple of days ago to a university. There was a, a, a office building in St. Paul, Minnesota, eight stories, 100,000 square feet, $2 million property, the whole thing donated to the homeless uh, problem in, uh, in, in that area. Yeah. So it doesn't matter how big it is. And frankly, Ken, the bigger matter of fact, I did a speaking engagement like this about six months ago and I met uh, the guy that's the president of the CCIM in LA, Jeff Albee. And he said last year, he had a client who donated $44 million, their wow. whole portfolio, all of it went to the Huntington Library in California. He sold all of it, got commission on $44 million wow. and had, and, and that's why when I spoke, he was like, I know this works. I just did it last year. I didn't know there was a system though. Now that I know there's an easier way to do it, praise God, let's do it together. So wow. it's happening. It's just a matter of, is it happening for your church? Is it happening in your community? Are your realtors and CPAs and financial advisors telling their people that there's a better way? That's why we were created so that we could share wow. this with everyone. That is unbelievable, Cami. Wow. 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 My brain is exploding here. So I, I, I just, I'm sitting here thinking about all the people I know in the like that's that's insane. What is the website for anybody listening or watching? What is the website for them to go to? So our website is therock.com, but it's spelled like real agent of change. So R-A-O-C. Uh, it's right behind me on the book. But uh, the real agents of change is the name of the group, therock.com. Myself. Okay. Yep, that's it. My cell phone number is 603-785-2598. I'm Hold real. 603-785-2598. Okay. I like to say I'm real, I'm raw, I'm relatable, and I'm reachable. Send me a text. Ask me. what. How can I sit in on a free class? How can I? We've got a ton of free videos that teach how this works. And we also have a masterclass we do once a month. And if, if people tell me they came from you, I'll let them sit in on the masterclass for free. Just send me a message. Wow. That's incredible. This, <clears throat> this is some really, really valuable information. I sit here and I think about, you know, my, my um, church um, is currently, you know, trying to raise like $3 million to buy more land and expand and, um, our, or our church in Ohio that we were going to, I, I just think about all the people I know that, that this sounds like they could benefit from it tremendously. They, they all could. And all we have wow. to do is let them know all they need to do is open their ears, open their mind. Wow. And, under, and when people say it sounds too good to be true and all that, listen, uh, you know, there was a point where somebody said, hey, um, we want you to pick up strangers in your car. We want you to yeah. go stay in a stranger's spare bedroom. What? Yeah. No way. And now that's how we travel. We Uber, we Lyft, we Airbnb. Yeah. Friends, yeah. things change. Things yeah. grow and mature. And yeah. people see where there's a problem yeah. and it gets fixed. These specialized nonprofits see a problem. Huh? 43% of wealth in real estate. All these nonprofits are only asking for 3% of cash. How can we help? This is why this was created. What they're not that great at is promoting and letting people know that they exist. That's where we come in. So wow. we're, we're just helping to spread the word. This is the Airbnb to uh, fundraising, meaning, yeah. you know, keep doing your fundraisers, do your bake sales, do your car shows, do your galas because they're fun and they're social and people need to interact. Yeah. But while you're there, just put it up on the screen. By the way, we can benefit from real estate. Have a flyer at the table. Hey, sign up if you'd like to come to our free webinar to teach you how to, you know, give smarter and get these tax benefits. Wow. It's really quite simple. That's huge. That's huge. Cammie, 
You rock. This has been amazing. Everybody go to The Rock, which is spelled R-A-O-C.com, the R-A-O-C.com, and check this out and, and let Cammy know that you heard about her here. Her cell phone number is up on the screen, 603-785-2598. Give her a call, shoot her a text, say you heard about it here, and... Wow, Cammy, that's amazing. Look at that. Already got a text. Did you really? Nice. Wow. That's well, incredible. You are a um you're oh I lost you there for a second. What'd you say? I said you're a rock star too, so I'm not surprised. Uh, thank you. Thank you. I appreciate you. Listen, this has been amazing. Everybody make sure you're following Cammy everywhere. What's the best social media platform to follow you on? Uh, uh, Facebook or LinkedIn. Those are my, okay. my two. Okay. Everybody go follow Cammy. Cammy, thank you. Congratulations on all your success and your sobriety. That's awesome. So everybody, make sure you go follow Cammy. And if you'll stay with me, Cammy, I'm going to end the live stream. Thank you to everyone who's watched and shared this out. You all rock. Have an awesome day, and we will see you later. Thanks so much, Cammie.